Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to Simply Holy, a podcast for Catholics who want to grow in holiness and joy by living a simple, everyday spirituality. I'm Marge Steinhag Fenelon, and I am thrilled to have with me Leah Jacobson. Leah has quite a bit of work under her belt, and I am so excited to dig into this, her, her new book and her ministry let me tell you just a bit about Leah before we, we let this beautiful young lady speak for herself. So Leah's an international speaker and a nonprofit founder. We're going to be talking about that nonprofit in today's show. She's a board-certified lactation consultant and author of the new book, which I can't wait to dig into, Holistic Feminism, Healing the Identity Crisis Caused by the Women's Movement, from Lumen Press. So, so Leah's got quite the mission. One of her greatest passions is supporting young women as they transition into their roles as new mothers. And oh, do new mothers need that right now. Leah resides in central Minnesota with her husband and seven children. Woohoo for you. That is awesome. <laughs> so welcome, Leah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I gave a bit of an intro when yeah. we opened the show, but but there's always more. I know those bios. I you know I write my own. I the same thing with my bio. It only tells tells a little bit about who the person is. So so what can you tell us about your background? What what background can you share with us? Yeah, thanks for asking. I think the informal bio has a lot more to do with just being a regular girl that grew up in the Midwest on a dairy farm, went off to college, a first-generation college student in my family. Um, having grown up in rural uh, Midwestern America, um, I think I have kind of some values that are, you know, down-home, <laughs> um, family-oriented. Um, well, I'm, just, I'm next door to you. I'm in Wisconsin, so I, I know the down-home. I love the Midwest. <laughs> yes, I think there's just a beautiful um, common sense spirit that reigns here that I just grew up surrounded by nature and I grew up, um, like I said, on a dairy farm with lots of animals and lots of plants and lots of sunshine. 
And I think that that really helped to form me as a, as an adult and as a human being. So I, I think I bring all of that into my work with women's healthcare and with these issues. So that's, that's me. <laughs> awesome. 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 Now your book, which I have not had enough time to dig into in terms, I could read it all again. Uh, it's, it's just so packed with excellent information and such it's so supportive so how in how did the book come about what gave you the idea there's always there's always a story behind every book in terms of where did that idea come from yeah I think that book has been trying to escape from me for a decade now and it's just been trying to find the time to actually put it down in an order that made sense to anyone else um, in the midst of raising you know having and raising seven children Um, but that book really began in my work as a campus minister at the University of Minnesota Duluth, um, my husband Josh and I spent the first three years of our marriage living uh, on the campus as a young married couple with our with our first baby um, in the Newman House, surrounded by thousands of college students asking us questions every day about fertility and pregnancy and childbirth and breastfeeding, uh, and it really started to spark a passion in me for what young women desire to know and what they have not been given the information to really truly understand them themselves, their own bodies. And so a, a passion began to really grow at that point. And it wasn't until about uh, 2010 that that really crystallized into action and a movement with, with the Guiding Star Project, with the nonprofit that I founded. Um, when I was doing my master's degree in women's health and wellness, and I was um, you know, going through all these textbooks and, and women's health literature that I just became pretty passionate about the current system and how it was not meeting the needs or answering the questions of everyday women. And so this book has been formulating for a very long time. And I've just been, like I said, very busy having a bunch of babies and founding a nonprofit that, you know, 10 years later, I finally got around to writing the book. But this is really the worldview that that we embrace through the work at Guiding Star. And it's it's a proposal for all women of what they really deserve. Wow, that yeah, and that's. I just want to give, I just want to give the the topics, the the chapter headings for our listeners because when I do this, you will understand why I want to go read the book all over again because there's so much in here. So, so old feminism, our true privilege, our right to know our bodies, fertility, childbearing, breastfeeding. Chapter four is the male normed world. Five is your body is not the problem. I think so many need to hear that one. A new Mm -hmm. feminist movement, wholesome women's space in the world. And chapter eight, next gen feminism. What can you tell me about next gen feminism? That's the feminist movement that I dream of for my daughters. You know, I have three daughters and I think that, um, these things tend to take a while. We're, we're not going to see the change overnight that we desire. But what I dream of with this next generation of the feminist movement is every young girl growing up just knowing how her body works naturally, knowing that she's good, knowing that her body is not the problem, um, that oftentimes it's a healthcare system that doesn't understand her or it's a corporate workforce that doesn't want to work with her. And so the next generation of feminism is our little girls growing up and they're not apologizing for their natural bodies and they're not routinely 
altering, suppressing, and destroying themselves to fit some sort of expectation uh, that just doesn't fit their natural body. Um, so next-gen femme is these young girls not apologizing for being being created female. Beautiful. Yeah. My expectation is then that perhaps I, you know, I'm putting thoughts in your mind, but um, we're just going to let that roll. Um, I don't know if you hear the background, but it's a busy household here as well. So <laughs> mine's so busy too. This is, this really is momhood and phones ring and things happen. In any case, you, you know this this idea of of truly appreciating who you are as a woman. Does it seem to you then that the the feminist movement, as most people know it, the, the which became quite a political movement, it, it, was that some kind of a a misguided in your eyes a misguided wanting to seek fulfillment to to feel worthy? Yeah, I do think I do think that what we have now, um, kind of as the modern iteration of the women's movement or the feminist movement, I think it was born from deep wounds to our identity as women. You know, I talk about healing the identity crisis caused by the women's movement and what happened. You know, in that post World War II uh, baby boom world of great uh, great productivity. Um, was that a lot of the feminine gifts and a lot of our natural talents were kind of downplayed or seen as liabilities, um, which is funny. We're coming full circle now and recognizing that some of the things that bring women bring to the workforce are incredibly valuable. All of a sudden there's, mm-hmm. you know, strengths finder tests and EQ tests and what's your emotional capacity and how do you understand other people? And, and those are things that women naturally excel at, but you know, 60, 70 years ago, that was seen as a weakness. You know, a woman who was too emotional, she could never survive in the workforce. Um, yeah. And so women naturally began to really suppress some of their natural gifts um, and apologizing for who we were created to be. Yeah. Uh, I think that's where we've gotten ourselves into this mess. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I have, I have a sister, well, I have two sisters who are significantly older than I am, so seven and nine years older. And their view of, particularly the one sister, her view of, of femininity and women in the workplace is, is completely different from mine. We're, it's like we're two mm. full generations apart. Because of that, she was very much taken into, and I, I don't, I'm not cutting it, I love her, she's awesome, but she was very much taken into that feminist movement. The old, sure. so to speak, the old feminist movement, where I came along maybe from a slightly different angle, but at a slightly different time period. And, um, you know, for, for her, my four children is a huge family. And how could you do that? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just fascinating to me, the difference in how we, how women, um, how we value ourselves or what we think gives value to our, to ourselves. So, yeah, I think that it's just to me, I just see so much wounding to that, that sense of I am created good, that I'm enough, that I don't need to grasp and try to become something more than what I am, because what I am is always enough and it's good. Awesome. So tell me who, you know, I, I think most writers, when we sit down to begin a book, or as we're working on a book, maybe it doesn't come right away. 
we have a reader in mind. We have maybe not, you know what I mean? It's just the, the type of reader, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily a single person. But so who who will benefit from your book, my dear? <laughs> That's such a great question because you're right. When you start to write a book, you kind of have that person in mind. And for me, it was one of my college roommates was kind of the person in my mind. I was writing to her, telling her all the things I wish she had known about herself, you know, when we were roommates. And so she was roughly a 20-year-old woman. And so that's in my mind who I was writing this book to. And then it went to my editor, who was a 45-year-old woman, uh, just, you know, postmenopausal, just barely, you know, going through mm-hmm. kind of in the menopausal phase. And, and she read the book and she said, no, you're writing this book to a 45-year-old woman. And then the book came out and I started getting responses from people, from women in their 60s and in their 70s even, saying, I'm so, thank you, thank you for writing a book to me. <laughs> and so, surprise! <laughs> in my brain, I was writing to a college-age woman and mm-hmm. the response I think has actually been more so, I think, from the women who are looking back with wisdom at this point and saying, I wish I had done things differently. Beautiful. So it really is a wide range. It's kind of the, uh, what is it, the man for all seasons is the book for all women and their various seasons. So I'm delighted. I'm delighted with the book. I I can't say that enough. So so every book, at least I, so far, every every author I've talked to, but with every book, there's there's something, there's a behind the the scenes. Readers love to know about that. You know, they want to know the, the, uh, I was going to say down and dirty, but I mean that in a good way. You know, the, no, the craziness know of, of trying to get yeah. from A to B with this thing. And there's almost always an interesting anecdote where people go, oh, wow, who'd have thought? Or, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I can't believe that happened. So so do you have one? Or maybe you have. Well, I mean, one. I can tell you this book, like I said, it's kind of been in the works for a decade. And I, and I really mean that, actually, as I wrote my master's thesis, portions of this book come directly from thoughts in my master's thesis from 10 years ago. And, and I've been trying to get them figured out. And, you know, honestly, COVID was the gift that was, you know, for as a writer to lock myself in my office. I took an eight week sabbatical last fall and I said, I'm going to finish this book. And I started with um, about 90,000 words that had been written over the last several years in different <laughs> orders and iterations. And it was just kind of a mess of a manuscript and for eight weeks, I just did one chapter a week, and I shaved away about 50,000 words. Oh, my goodness. It's a massacre. <laughs> I just, I had the help of a really good editor who has just a slasher of a pen. She, she helped clean it up and shave out what we have left. And I take it you don't, you don't uh, have ownership over your words. I, I know there are some writers that, you, you just don't touch my words like you just you don't take out my words and and others I, I tend to be the the opposite where it's like whatever just let's just make it right I don't I don't own these words I don't have any I don't have any hang-ups about the red pen you know the, the slash yeah no I think it's a it's an act of humility you know to come in and say yeah nobody actually really cares hearing about those 14 <laughs> studies that I think are amazing like yeah no one actually wants the statistics from 1972's breastfeeding rates <laughs> <laughs> stuff that I really think is fascinating as yeah. a you know a researcher the context of how we got into this mess recognizing the average reader doesn't want that and so we I wanted this book 
to be something that can help launch a movement. I want it to be something that can be read and reread in a short period of time. And I think we, I think we're there. I mean, I think the average reader said it takes them about two to three days if they really sit with it to get mm-hmm. through it. So it's a quick read. It's accessible yes. to many women. And that's, I'd rather the book be finished than sit on a coffee table you know, for six months and then get, mm-hmm. you know, donated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found a few of mine in the half price books. It's kind of like, ouch. Oh, or maybe it that's happens. a good thing. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so the movement, this is so exciting because I didn't like, you know, as you know, I only gave a little mention to it in the beginning of the show because I'd like to hear it from you. What is it? How did it develop and where is it going? I think that we are right at the crux of a fourth wave of the feminist movement. I think that, you know, what we've seen happen through the women's movement the last several uh, decades, you know, it's roughly every 30 to 40 years we get a chance to kind of reimagine what women of today now need. And we're at that moment right now. And so I think that there is just such a tremendous opportunity where women have gotten to the point where they feel disenchanted and they feel let down and the old solutions really didn't pan out to make them happy or whole. Uh, and women are searching. And so at this exact moment in time, I just feel like we have so, so much potential, such an opportunity to reunite women around the one thing that we really share in common, which is our female bodies, the hormonal experience um, the cyclical experience of being a woman and what that means uh, in our day and time. And if we can unite with one another on that commonality, it transcends every political division, every religious division. It is something sacred about our sisterhood as women that if we can connect on that level, we can truly move forward policies and laws and a way of thinking about motherhood and fertility and children that actually matches our desires, desires. And, that and that actually works, works for, for us, us as, as you know creative, productive, productive members of society. society. Now, so guiding I, I'm excited. Star, guiding yeah. star is your is your movement. Guiding, guiding star, star is absolutely the place, place where I think, I think that, that we make a tremendous impact locally in the communities. I think that these are our kind of movement uh, hubs. Um, I think that this movement is going to. Tra- I think it'll go beyond guiding star. I think we're going to have many partners in this movement, but I think guiding star. Uh, for providing, uh, providing the healthcare the aspects of this movement. movement. I really, I truly hope, hope that that will become uh, a household name and it will become a place that uh, women just know they can go to for the truth about how their body works and to be listened to, you know, to really be seen in the healthcare system and, and be heard. So hands on, what are you doing with Guiding Star? So in other words, uh, a, a woman goes to the website, which and we need that website address too, if you don't mind, but goes to the website and what will she find there? And, and basically what's in it for her? So what, yeah. what happens? So at Guiding Star, so you're going to, if you go to our website, you're going to find, so far we have six locations in four states and we're, we're expanding and we're growing as fast as we, as we hope we can. <laughs> you're only, you're only limited, limited by the, the finances in these sort of situations. And so, um, as we are able to grow and spread Guiding Star centers all across the country, a woman will be able to go there and find her local center and know that we have services uh, in fertility care, uh, childbirth and breastfeeding support and uh, services, um, postpartum care. We have drop-in child watch. Um, we have some um, 
support for women in all phases of their reproductive cycle, even into menopausal and postmenopausal. Uh, it's it's a place for truth about your your body. Really, it's about healthcare. It's about women's healthcare, and it's an alternative to just kind of the status quo of what we currently see, you know, touted as women's healthcare in our country. Um, we're very we're very naturally minded. We're gonna help you learn how to chart your cycles. We're gonna help you understand. Um, any problems that are going on with your hormones and get that in, in line, get that in order. We're going to teach young girls. Um, you know, our first point of interaction we hope for with young women is nine years old. We want them to be in our centers by the time, by the time they're nine years old, they should be coming in to learn about what's going to happen with their beautiful, healthy, you know, first menstrual cycle. We want them to not fear that. It's, it's just removing the stigma and the shame and the fear about a healthy woman's body. They need to hear the truth and the goodness of, of their body before they're really hit by the lies of society and culture. So it sounds a little bit like it's it's part clinic, part community, and and part, uh, what, library, educational resource. Do I have that right? or is Yeah, you know, I think that's actually fair. So it's, you know, part clinic, absolutely. So the medical services in our centers that are fully medically certified, which we have two of them currently at this point, we're trying to get as many as possible up to that, where it can be your regular well-woman care, where you can come in there and use your insurance card to get care. Um, we're, we're hoping to get as many of them as possible up to that level in communities that have the, the market to support that. Um, in other communities where it's smaller and maybe there isn't a, a healthcare market or a need to, you know, financially support that, they're more of a, an education support community gathering space where women can come together and, and learn and support each other. And, and how is, how is this funded? Now, are there fees to, the the women who and girls who use the centers are is this is this uh, I, I'm, a, I'm I'm assuming it's it's nonprofit but how does that how does the how does the whole financial thing work? Yeah, that's yeah, a really great question. So it is a nonprofit. Um, it is each one of our centers is actually its own uh, locally governed nonprofit. So each one of our centers has a local board of directors and a local staff. So it's people in the community making sure that they're looking out for one another. Um, so we do have a sliding fee scales for people that have uh, economic need. There's also scholarships available for any of the services. Many of the services are free, such as um, you know material support, diapers, clothing, things like that. Um, and in some of our centers, even the pregnancy tests and ultrasounds are free as well. But the medical services, just like a well woman exam, anything that you would normally, um, you know, go to your doctor for, it's it's similar. It's you're going to a provider for that. So it's giving your insurance card or, you know, paying your um, uh, your premium or whatever it is. But if there is a, a financial need, we can work with women on that. And what we can really promise that's different than going to a regular doctor's office is we can promise that, you know, our providers are really going to listen and spend time. Our average patient visit is 59 minutes. Wow. Um, so we really get to the heart of what's going on and we're not going to be giving solutions to women that really speak against their natural body. We're not going to be, um, you know, prescribing artificial contraceptives and hormones that, that women don't need. You know, we're really going to work to try to figure out what's going on with your cycle. What's, what's the problem here? What's the source of this infertility? Let's, let's look at this. Uh, and really, really dig in and give them the healthcare services that every woman deserves. And who's on your staff? 
So what would, who would a woman expect or girl expect to find there? What types of, of staff? Well, it's well, different it's at each center right now as they're kind of growing. growing. <laughs> so it's so, um, nurse, nurse midwives would be a, a typical uh, or a nurse, nurse practitioner. practitioner. Um, we, we also have, have a family practice, practice doctor at one of our locations. Our locations. Uh, we do have an OBGYN at another location. Um, so there's a bit of variety. Um, for us, it's most important that our providers really share our understanding and our worldview about women's health care. Um, there's a lot of difference across the, the country and states in terms of what medical licenses you know, can do in different states. And so in many states, you know, a nurse practitioner is able to do everything that a family practice doctor is able to do. And so we kind of work regionally with whatever whatever the licensing really allows in that area and whoever the provider is, who the provider is really matters. You know, that really matters a lot. Sure. And I'm assuming that you, you screen your staff. I mean, I, who wouldn't? But I, I'm saying this more for the reassurance of, of the women who are are listening in that I have no doubt you you have carefully screened staff so what what are you looking for in your staff we're looking for philosophical alignment so guiding star has a philosophy state philosophy statement that really guides and you know governs our decisions about staff and our worldview of what we really truly believe healthcare means for women. And a lot of that's encapsulated in the book, you know, in Holistic Feminism, it talks a lot about the type of care that we believe women deserve. Um, and so, you know, we, we make a promise, you know, in our philosophy statement that we're never going to provide nor refer, refer for abortions or artificial contraception because we really do not believe those to be in line with women's health care. We don't believe that's actually good for women's health. It's, um, we see it as a Band-Aid and we see it as, um, you know, just kind of a sloppy workaround to actually solving the problem that she has. Wow. And in terms of, of the locations, can you name the locations? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's six there's centers six currently, and we are about, we are about to announce a seventh, but I can't say it quite yet. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I can tell you the six that we have that are that are well known. <laughs> um, and so in Minnesota, we have Guiding Star Wakota in West St. Paul. In Iowa, we actually have three centers, which I love. I love Iowa. Um, Guiding Star Orange City, Guiding Star Cedar Valley, and Guiding Star Marshalltown. In Texas, we have Guiding Star El Paso. And then in Tennessee, we've got Guiding Star Memphis. Wow. Yeah. That's a nice, that's a nice spread. It is a spread. It kind of goes down the middle of the country. <laughs> but, but we're looking to hit the coasts very soon. Sure. sure. And, well, and, and, and time. I mean, it's, it takes time to build, to build something like this. I, I, I know from past experience of my own. And I think it's phenomenal that how long, when did you start Guiding Star? So how long has this been going, the, the, the actual Guiding Star uh, clinics? It's, I know that's not quite the right word, centers. There we go. Um, sure. sure. So, so I, started I started this idea, idea kind of, yeah. on, honestly, it began as a proposal. You know, I started a website in 2012 and started to form the board. Um, so by about 2014, we were kind of officially formed as a nonprofit. And then a first center started opening in 2015 and 16. And we've just been, you know, kind of testing it and piloting. And yeah. figuring out, figuring out what works and what doesn't work, honestly. This is a yeah, learning, learning thing as you go. And, 
really has been finding the supporters around the country that understand this because it doesn't fit neatly into any existing movement, you know, that's out there that people traditionally support. We, you know, we, we aren't, we aren't really part of the women's healthcare movement yet because we're doing healthcare that is, you know, we're not providing services that many people just equate with women's healthcare. We say, actually, we don't think that's healthy. Um, we don't, we don't fit, fit neatly into, into you know, know the feminist, feminist movement <laughs> at all because <laughs> yeah. they're pretty politically yeah. tied with healthcare. We don't fit neatly into the pro-life movement either um, because we're working a lot on you know maternal health outcomes and breastfeeding and other women's health issues. So it's been an interesting space to try to find our our people. Yeah, and and if someone wants to donate, and I hope they do, to contribute to keep not only keep the centers you have open going, but help you open more. And I, you know, I do apologize. I'm very aware of the phone ringing thing, and there is some weird thing going ha- happening with our phones here. <laughs> and so I do apologize, everyone. It is completely out of my control. And I've talked to the provider company, and they're puzzled too. So we will just pretend it's the Christmas bell going. <laughs> anyway, to donate to Guiding Star. Where and how? Thank you Thank for you asking for that. Asking That's that. really kind, actually. Um, you can donate through our website at guidingstarproject.com. Um, you can also just mail a check to our address. That's probably one of the easiest ways to do it. That way there's no you know, extra credit card fees or anything taken out of it. Um, you can also buy my book at luminpress.org. That's a good way to just kind of intro into this worldview and this ideology and whether or not it's something you're, you, know, you align with. Um, but, but end of year giving right now is really that, that crunch time for every nonprofit. And so sure. we're incredibly grateful to anyone who's giving at this at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that there's no limit up or down for, no, for no donations. donation. No, Just want to clarify not. that. Any donation, any donation, if it's if it's five dollars or five hundred dollars, like we are one hundred percent grateful for it. We do have a a webcast. Um, I'm not sure the dates on when you're on when you're um, sharing this, but we do have a webcast on Friday, December 10th. That's going to be talking just really about the future of women's health care in our country with the current Supreme Court and the Dobbs hearing. And so people can register for that as well through our website. Way cool. Well, let's see what we can do to, to get the word out, whether um, whether this has been posted or not. Um, folks, this is not a live show, as you may have guessed. So we record earlier and then it, it posts later so sometimes there's a delay in how long it takes to to post it, i am curious now i know there's HIPAA laws i know that i know that you can't name specific people and i wouldn't want that either but can you give some examples you know what who are the ones i'm talking about now the women or girls who've come into the the centers who has what situation has has most touched your heart maybe there's more than one and that's that's good too yeah like i like i mentioned kind of with the book like you you think you imagine like that there's a certain demographic that you're going to really hit and um you know i kind of imagine and a lot of people imagine like that woman in an unplanned pregnancy or somebody trying to like you know like that's kind of the situation you imagine but and we've had those for sure and we've been able to help women you know really make a courageous decision to to give birth and, you know, but one of the situations that has been surprising, honestly, has been women dealing with miscarriages and recurrent miscarriages. That has been just a woman that 
there's been many of them, but um, a couple of our centers do this really well where they have an annual memorial service for all the babies, you know, that year. And they do a burial service for all the babies that were lost through miscarriage that year and, and have um, grief and counseling and support services for them, you know, to deal with the loss. But then also we have the ability to actually look at the issue and say, okay, what's going on? Is there something, you know, with your, with your fertility, with your body that we can work on correcting? And the women who have been able to be helped in that way, where they then, then, after a miscarriage, are able to get pregnant pregnant and carry a pregnancy pregnancy to term. That that has been probably one of the most heartwarming scenarios scenarios for me to watch. watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that that touches touches me personally because we we had a miscarriage. Our second Mm -hmm. child was a miscarriage. And and the people mean well, but the comments can really hurt. And, you know, they're trying to make you feel better, but... Well, don't worry. You can always have another. Well, no. yeah. <laughs> well maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. But then, you know, you don't replace that one. You never replace. No. It doesn't matter if I would have had twelve more children. You know, you, you yep. just yep. you don't replace the one that was lost. I'm very. I'm really excited to hear you talk about that because I personally think that's not well enough understood even now. It's it's just yeah. we yeah. don't understand how to walk with women who have miscarried and, and it, it was only one for me and that hurt. I can't even imagine mm-hmm. multiple times. It just, my mind just, my heart just doesn't even go there because it's got to be so painful. And so I'm so I, sorry. I'm so sorry, sorry for your loss. loss. It's something well, you're right. It never goes away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, our, my kids are grown and I still think of the, the one, but uh, I'm curious now as we're talking about children that we've lost, do you, touch on post-abortive support. We do. Yeah, we do have, um, you know, in, in each of our centers, our, our partners are a little bit different. We work with existing providers and partners and therapists in communities. And so some of our centers are able to offer a much deeper level of support in that area. Um, but that is definitely um, something that is touched on. And if, if a referral is needed to an outside counselor, if we don't have the service inside of our own location, we make sure that that connection is made because, um, you know, guiding star, we talk about our health as being whole, you know, like holism, holistic health, and that encompasses the mind, the body and the spirit. And we focus so heavily on the body when it comes to health, but our mental health and our spiritual health, they have just as much of an impact on our overall well-being. Mm-hmm. And so, so when it comes to things like post-abortion healing, um, there, there can be physical ramifications that need to be dealt with. Um, but mm-hmm. oftentimes it's that deeply emotional and spiritual uh, healing that needs to happen. And we need to work with therapists and allied providers for that. And speaking of, of providers, uh, something that just came to my mind, we've talked about if someone wants to donate or someone wants to seek help from one of your centers. So what if you've got someone who, a, a professional, medical professional or um, psychological uh, professional who, who says, wow, you know what, I really want to help with that. So how does that channel work? What, what happens if there's someone who d- takes an interest yeah, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely want them to reach out to us because it is so hard to find like-minded providers. Um, and so some of our centers have honestly started because we had a provider who wanted to start a private practice. They wanted to be on their own. They didn't want to be you know, in the hospital or the group that they were in any longer. And they struck out on their own with our help. And so um, we do that sometimes in, if the situation is right in the right community. 
we build our centers around the right providers. Um, and so if somebody has a desire for this type of a center and a practice, I just really encourage them to reach out to us uh, because that's really the thing that makes the center successful or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming that, and maybe I shouldn't assume, that your staff is all volunteer? No, not all volunteer. Okay. Well, because most of these are medical practices, really, it's a it's a women's health practice, and so we'll have you know nurses, nurses and uh, medical assistants, um, sonographers. Um, we do have some volunteers that help out with things like the child watch, you know, because that's one of the things that I'm firmly committed to. That every one of our centers will have a drop-in child watch available. Um, just looking at you know statistics of. Um, you know, 61% of women in our country that are choosing abortions have children. Um, yeah. And so there is something that's very difficult about having children and accessing prenatal care. You know, when you've got two or three toddlers and you need to go in for your your prenatal exam and you got your feet in the stirrups with three kids running around the room, that that makes even the sanest woman pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and so, and so I, I, understand I understand that, that, um, that we have, we have to make health care accessible to mothers with children. And so our drop in child watches, we work with a lot of volunteers to keep those up and running. <laughs> so if you like watching kids, come and volunteer. Well, and I, I could just think of so many different situations where someone would want to do that. And, and, and what I'm hoping is that folks will hear this this broadcast and and think wow i could do something i could do something i could help with a situation like that i a ministry like that so i'm I'm hoping it entices both the users and the providers to jump on board and we do need volunteers you know even to do things like sort donations and diaper things and you know all the material goods that go out our center in el paso this last year gave out nearly a million diapers uh, and so that was a vol- that was a herculean volunteer undertaking um you know so they were they do diaper drives they cars drove up through even during covid um popped the trunk we loaded diapers in sent them on their way and so that was all volunteers um we also uh, really need volunteers to assist with a lot of the fundraising efforts that happen we do galas and fundraisers and golf outings and all the different you know typical nonprofit fundraisers those are typically run by volunteers and so sure any gift that anyone has can be given and received Cooks and party planners and photographers and all of those people, if you want to add to your portfolio, I've just connected you with the woman to to yes. contact so that you can, uh, it, it'll be twofold, I promise you, because you'll get exposure and they will get help that they need. So um, I, you, you can tell I was uh, trained in public relations, so. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. We need all the help we can get. <laughs> My mind is always thinking about the event and helping out and making it better. So um, in any case, now, now, Simply Holy is is the name of the podcast. So I, I ask I ask every single one of my guests, how how does how can you foresee or how do you hope that that what you do? So the book and and Guiding Star, how can this this help women and and maybe even men because in general there's a man connected to a woman if we're talking any kind of pregnancy or relationship generally how how could this help them grow in holiness 
I love I this love question so much. And so I, since you mentioned men, I'll, I'll call out the men first. <laughs> um, because I think part of what this new feminism, this next generation of feminism needs to do is it does, it needs to work with men because we haven't really had them be part of the equation so far. And so for men, I think your call to holiness within this framework and within the work that we're doing is uh, to really hold yourself accountable and to recognize that you are capable of doing hard things. You are capable of understanding your wife, her fertility, uh, the women in your life. You're capable of, you know, not just demanding um, immediate and instant gratification that you are, you are not an animal, you are strong. Um, and you are called to protect, protect and love us. So that's the call for men's holiness. Um, within this, uh, but to the women, I think the call really is in a deep trust that the provider, or not the provider, <laughs> the deep trust that the creator, that God. You know, well, he does provide, so you're right. He is, he is the provider. We could call him the provider. That the creator, um, that deep trust that he, he doesn't make mistakes and that you are created exactly the way that you were intended to be, that you are deeply loved, that your identity, you know, it does not come from any place other than in, you know, his love for you. And so that grasping, that trying to, um, you know, always be something more, um, that it's not necessary that you can just trust. Uh, and so I think it's the call to holiness for women is, um, you know, can you just rest in your identity as a beloved child of God first? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And, and any last thoughts? Because I know that, I don't know everything and I don't think to ask everything. So is there something that I didn't think to ask or something on your heart from what we did talk about that you want to share before we close the show? I, again, I think the last, I try to always kind of just reiterate this over and over again. Um, you know, it, it, women, like you are good. You are so good. <laughs> like, And men, it is your responsibility to tell every woman in your life that she is good. <laughs> so fathers, mothers, whoever, whoever has a woman, a daughter, anyone in your life, like just tell her she is good. Way cool. Yes. And I, I think that's a vital, vital message. Especially, we both know that women have been devalued over generations, not not just currently. So, yes. uh, well, Leah, thank you for everything that you do. I, I'm just I'm wowed, and and with seven children, I I think that is a phenomenal gift to the world. The kids, in and of themselves, mm. and then they, they've got this mom who is reaching out and and so strong in her convictions and so capable. What what a blessing you are to the world and everything that you do. So I thank you for that and assure you, of course, of, of my prayers. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe in another few months we'll have you back on the show and you'll say you opened uh, three more centers in that, <laughs> that time. Would be, yes, that would be wonderful. <laughs> that would be wonderful. So I think, I think stay tuned. I think we'll be announcing the first, the next one in the next month. We had to, Very cool. Very yep. cool. And again, the website to find you, or the website to get to Guiding Star, those websites are? Um, easiest to do is just guidingstarproject.com. That's okay. the easiest one to go to. Yep. Super. Guidingstarproject.com. Well, thank you so much, folks. <laughs> it's already time to go. I can't believe it. Um, you know, we've, we can only go for so long, and then people tend to uh, to need to get on with the rest of their lives. But I'm so glad that we have had this time together. I'm so grateful to Leah for coming on as guest. If you need to get 
to me or are interested in what I do, it's MargeFenelon.com. So you can find me at MargeFenelon.com. You can find Leah at GuidingStarProject.com. And I want to just remind you that the only thing stopping you from growing in holiness is the obstacle you make for yourself to get in the way. So God bless you all. And uh, since we're coming up on Christmas, Merry Christmas, if I don't talk to you, Leah, or or we don't uh, connect some other way. Thank you so much, Marge. Merry Christmas. This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you.